Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Welcome to the Monday edition of the program. I'm Bobby Curran along with Tanner Hayworth. And between us, we'll try and bring you the complete world of sports. Pros, colleges, high schools, other sporting events taking place here with guests, giveaways, and, of course, your calls. We got a couple things to get to today. And because, as always, busy day in the world of sports, let's get after it. The sports stories you need to know. Here's your current events. The Golden State Warriors came storming back to notch a 19-point win, 107-88, and deadlocked the series at a game apiece when Golden State started to push it offensively in the third quarter. Boston had no answers. The teams will play Wednesday evening. Current events. Few things are as much fun as evaluating NFL teams after their draft and their free agent deals are done, we're trying to figure, okay, which one of these teams is going to start out absolutely on fuego? Hard to tell. Usually a team will rise above what they've done in the offseason. Seems like the Rams would be a good bet to be in contention again. Current events. Minji Lee won the U.S. Women's Open. Lee won $1.8 million. That's the latest payout, the largest one in women's golf history, with many of the men thinking of the Saudi-backed Live you know, Tour. PGA women are making big strides for fiscal equality. Current events. That's pretty good, 1.8 million. I mean, I can remember them with women's tournaments. So, so that's 230. No more. They are, they're in the big money. We have a couple of things uh, to get to today. And I did want to start off with the basketball game because this is, I, I don't know, I just think that's about as much fun as you can have, um, you know, vertical. I, I just think that's a really good time. And the difference between. Golden State the other night and Golden State last night was absolutely night and day. They were just so much more in control. They were aggressive. And we're going to talk about some of the aggressiveness because what's aggressive for Steph Curry does not translate to the same thing as aggressive for Draymond Green. 
Now, Draymond Green is a trash talker. He's a guy that wants to get in people's heads. He's been always that way. He's right on the edge, constantly, it seems. And he has been thrown out of a playoff game. It might have cost him a championship a few years back. So I think that's quite possible. And you can get other experts to say that's possible as well. I did not think they needed to throw uh, Draymond Green out. He already had a technical. He got into it with Jalen Brown. And I guess a lot of people are calling for, oh, double techs, out, out they go. Or out he goes because he already had a technical. So, you know, they had Steve uh, Javi, who's, you know, the liaison. And he had said that, you know, you always know when you're an official. You know who's got a technical already. That's not a hard thing to keep track of. So some people are incensed. Incensed, I tell you, that you might have, because you knew he had a tech, you didn't tech him because it would have meant an ejection. I'm, a, I'm actually good with that. I, I don't get this exactly, this urge to have less than the team's best on the court, especially if something is somewhat marginal as that was. That was hardly grounds for a disqualifying technical, I didn't think. I just think we're getting a little soft here in our old age. I mean, really? Does anyone think back to what basketball was like in the late 90s? Holy smokes. They should, they should donate when he's done with this mortal coil. Allen Iverson's body should go, should be donated to science. He probably took the worst beatings of any small guard I can think of. He was knocked down nonstop. It was pretty constant. Okay, how if I was to tell you this? If I was to tell you that the best big man on the floor for either team last night was Kevon Looney. And it wasn't particularly close. I, I just thought, wow, something is wrong with Robert Williams. That's pretty clear. He does. He is not. He doesn't have the lift. He doesn't have his usual explosiveness. Something's wrong with him. And the guy who had the horrible game last night. Oh my God, Horford was god awful. Two nine six of fourteen twenty is that number. I don't think there was any doubt that it was Kevon Looney. He was the best player, on, uh, best big man on the floor for either team. I mean, everybody wants, and I think that it's not an unusual thing, probably because Steph Curry just doesn't have that alienating feature in his personality. He's pretty low-key. He's got a smile for everybody. You know, even when he does the little dancing, some guys do that. You know, the shimmy shakes and the dance, and they look incredibly aggressive when they're doing it. Not, not Steph Curry. He just looks like, you know, isn't this fun? We're out here playing basketball and making a lot of money doing it. What a, what a concept. Seems like a pretty good idea. I do think this changes things dramatically because I really felt that it was going to be an uphill battle, really uphill, maybe even insurmountable if somehow Boston won game two. I just couldn't imagine that they were going to sweep at TD Garden, and so that made me think, well, okay, do you want to go into game four down 3-1 to the Celtics? I think you, you really want to be at that minimum two, two even. 
And I think there's an excellent chance that this, the, uh, the Golden State Warriors will do that now. Um, now that they got even on this thing, and they looked very, very good doing it last night. The, uh, I thought it was interesting. I mean, Ime Udoka just took his starters out. I mean, he didn't have a, a starter in, really, in the fourth quarter. Did you notice how little Steph Curry played? He had 29 points in less than three quarters. I mean, pretty outstanding performance, if you ask me. And it's funny because some of the Celtics did not shoot well. I mean, some of the Warriors didn't shoot well, although... Jordan Poole got his touch back last night, and that helped a great deal. So you can afford for, you know, Clay Thompson to go one of eight if you got the other guys doing it. All right, we got a couple of things to get to. 296-1420 is, uh, is the number. Go ahead if you want to have a chat with us. I'm seeing this up that uh, Joe Judge is now, he's been hired by the Patriots. He's now working with Mac Jones at the Patriots OTAs, they're not naming or have not so far named an offensive coordinator to replace Josh McDaniels. That's interesting. 296-1420. If you have something, we'd love to hear it. I mean, you can uh, go ahead and share with us. We've got a couple of things. And don't forget, you can text. And we have a new text line. Have you heard about that, Tanner? I'm not sure Tanner has, has heard that. But we are now... The uh, we're going to have a new tax line. It's new today. How's that? He's looking at me like, are you talking crazy talk? No, I'm not. We'll give you a little bit more on that in just a minute or two. It's 10 minutes past the hour. If you have a question or a comment, go ahead, and because uh, we want to hear about this. Does does this mean in your mind that the all is right with the world and the Golden State Wars are back where they're supposed to be. I kind of think that's true. I know that people don't want to give vent to that because it makes it sound like, well, you're saying this is... All. No, I don't think it's all right. It's a great series. But I think that the slight advantage that I thought that Golden State has, I am back to thinking they have that slight advantage. Go ahead if you have something. It's about 11 minutes past the hour. What uh, In terms of your... I, well, listen, we're all like this. We slowly... We reevaluate. We look. You had, I think, do you have this game going seven initially or six? Six. What do you think now? I mean, realistically, it's still going six. I mean, right now the Boston Celtics are kind of in the situation where I thought they needed to be in. Because, yeah, last night's game was terrible. But what they did end in is a split out coming out of Golden State. And that's something that I'm, I'm thinking that a lot of people didn't really expect from the Boston Celtics, especially from a Golden State Warriors team that you know hadn't lost a game at Chase Center for the entire playoffs. So just getting one, sure, it was the first game. It wasn't last night's just really just rough outing, but you still come back to to Boston with the split series. And I think that's exactly where they need to be to be comfortable to keep this series going for longer than realistically would have gone if they were down 2-0 going into Boston. You wouldn't have liked the chances then? No. I actually think that they, I mean, listen, they got a puncher's chance. I just think their weakness is they don't score points well in the third quarter, haven't all year long. They've got a couple of things. The problem is... 
Golden State can lose you in the third quarter because they have a tendency to go on these dashes. And you can suddenly find yourself, as the Celtics did last night, you're, you're struggling along, you're down eight, and suddenly you're down 19. That's tough. Tough to come back from that. 296-1420 is the number. As far as the coaching goes, I think Ide Odoka, I think Ime is doing a great job. I thought I thought so when I started to tune in, you know, mid-season or certainly after January when everybody was raving about them. You know, you'd watch highlights of them. I like they look pretty good to me. I just don't know if they have enough scoring, especially in the hard parts, the last few minutes of the second quarter, the third quarter. Do they have enough? Can they put enough on the board? I think I think what we're seeing is occasionally they can, and other times they can't. It's, it's not complicated. 13 minutes past the hour. And uh, go ahead if you have something you want to talk about. You don't need to. We got a couple of good things coming up for you. And we did have sort of a no-show on our first guest. So we are going to have quite a, a time here uh, to, to just kind of get your thoughts if you have something. So go ahead. 296-1420 is the number. Actually, one of our most reliable people just is uh, – just didn't get back. So that was very, very unusual on his part. 296-1420. Go ahead if uh, if you want to talk about something. You know what's funny is he's right in the heart of Las Vegas. I really like getting his perspective. That is probably the gambling mecca right now. I mean, we all know Vegas, but I think even more so than before, the city has become supercharged with the gambling stuff. I, I just think... Boy, I just hate it because I just think of my own kids. It's so easy to get yourself in trouble with that. Really doesn't take long. I remember someone who was doing FanDuel and said, I suddenly realized, you know, it's costing me like $300 a month. I was like, yeah, that's what it, that's how they get you. 296 1412 Have you done any of that FanDuel stuff, Tanner? Can't because it's illegal in Hawaii. You go, oh, wow, you're a, you're a rule follower. We know a lot of people here that are not following those rules. But they're paying a price for it. If you, if you followed the rules, you wouldn't have to worry about being out of money. I think when I was in Michigan for Michigan State, I tried to sign up for, like, DraftKings or something like uh -huh. that. And then even though I was in Michigan State, it was still like, no, you can't. And it's just Why, like, do you have some kind of a connection to Hawaii that they won't allow it? Yeah, so I was just like, dang. Because what's it called? I had a friend. Think of the money you I had a friend in uh, Michigan who does this thing where it's like a referral code, where you give someone a code and then you both get like two hundred free like DraftKing dollars, right. which you could use to still win money from. So that he was both. Mo it was him mostly trying to gamble more, and then me right. just also being in on the action. But unfortunately, it did not work out on that end. Well, that's actually maybe better in the long run. Well, I, w I would have probably put all of that on Michigan State just for fun, whether or not they would have won or lost at that moment before this was during the Michigan-Michigan State game. Because if it wasn't my money, if it was free money, I was like, okay, might as well just put it all on there. That's what I would have done. There's a danger to thinking that it's all free money. 296, but I, I hear what you're saying. House money is the way a lot of people would call it. 296. 1420 is the number. Come on, if you have something, we got to take a quick time out. We'll be right back on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. And the Sideline Hawaii. 
on this uh, Monday edition of the program. If you have something that you want to mention, do you believe in players being easily ejected from playoff games? I, I don't. I just think that was a silly one. I have heard the debates go on. I would say about half the people. What seems to really bother people is someone saying, well, the officials shouldn't really know how many technicals a guy has. Well, I think that's just not realistic. It's the same officials. So they're not going to know that a guy's already got a technical? That just seems unrealistic to me. Well, I think when you're looking at this situation, when you're looking at the situation with Draymond Green already having that technical, with that going down, I don't think you look at it as if, oh, this dude already has a technical, so we should call another technical on him. I think you need to go at it more with some more consistency in the game because from the start of the game, it was obvious the refs were not going to have another game one where they were going to be you know, looking the other way in terms of a lot of the calls. They were calling Boston on a lot of stuff in the first quarter, and it just feels like when you do have that technical foul and someone says, well, he already has a tech, so we're not going to – we're going to make sure probably to not call him again because we don't want to make it too easy to eject a guy. I think you just got to be consistent with your calls. If for the entire season the refs are going to be calling technicals on anybody and everybody who talks back or does some little thing to annoy them, then why not also do it in the NBA Finals? Well, that's first, my issue. Okay, I hear you, but it's funny even how you said that. If if it's some little thing that's irritating you and you're you're an official, you need to get a different job. Well, I'm saying that's what it felt like for much of this season, whether it be regular season or playoffs. Texts were being handed out to a lot of guys, so maybe you just keep it up in the NBA Finals and not just change up the rules in one last game. I just feel like throwing somebody out of a playoff game especially a prominent performer, is very likely to change the outcome of the game. So then maybe they shouldn't get two technical fouls. Well, that's going to be that's what some of the hardcore people are going to say. But I don't think that was grounds for a technical. There wasn't anything there. There was no there there. That's what I don't get about the tech. Two guys got kind of caught up. I, I didn't see that there was anything. There was a shove by Draymond. At well, the back end of the fight. wasn't of much of a shuffle, shove. Sorry. wasn't much of one. I didn't think. I thought it was I thought it was a good non-call. That's my take. I, I would have been my call. I would, not have, I would not have jumped in on that one and decided that that should be an ejection. So with the whole argument of, well, this is a guy that will contribute more to the team, probably shouldn't do it. If it was anyone else, then you're saying it probably would have been a tech? No, I don't think it was a tech. I think the only reason it was going to be a tech is because it was Draymond Green involved in the first place. Because he's kind of earned the reputation as a talker and a kind of disruptor. That's what I think. Two nine six fourteen twenty. I I'm thinking if that's Al Horford and I don't know Kuminga, it's not. It's probably nothing. I don't see that being called as a technical. Just saying.
25 minutes past. If you have something uh, you'd like to get to, please feel free. But it was funny trying to see Draymond pull down Jalen Brown's pants. What was up with that? What was up with that? He always tries to do something little where it's like, sure, maybe that's not a technical, but then you also look at it and you're just like, what are you doing, man? It's like, (laughs) how old are you, 12? I mean, there are times where you do get that bit of behavior. I'll I'll say one thing about Draymond Green, he's one of those guys, you'll love him if he's on your team. You can't stand him if he's on the opponent. I mean, this was like on Friday when you were talking to me about Marcus Smart and I was kind of getting on you and all that stuff. I'm like, well, that's just what he's like. He just does that. And so it's that, like you said, whether it be Draymond, whether it be Marcus Smart, whether it be a guy like Pat Bev, who I did not want to mention because it's always fun trying to mention Patrick Beverly, especially when it comes to ESPN (laughs) nowadays. But I, you love to have a pesky defender that gets under the guy's skin because they'll probably be in foul trouble. They'll probably also be your best defender on the team because they don't care. They want to get physical. And having guys like that to be physical, especially in the finals, that's when it starts to get a little more fun to watch. I think you should probably – every team needs to have one of those guys. I'm not sure you can handle, say, three of them because that would lead to problems. 296 – 1420 is the number. You have a moment if you want to jump in with your thoughts. Should Draymond Green have headed to the showers? You may have a thought on it. I I feel like I was glad that they made the call. It was three shots for, uh, uh, what's his name, Jalen Brown. Uh, That was it. I mean, that's it. That was the extent of it. No more tax, no, no more complications. I was okay with it. 296. 1420 is the number. But I think what's really nice for Golden State is this is a totally different Draymond Green that we saw in Game 2 than Game 1. It seemed like he was all over the place on offense and defense in a good way on offense all over the place. He was setting screens. He was getting in people's faces, making space for guys like Steph, guys like Wiggins, guys like Poole, who had a really great game from the three-point line. And I think I remember seeing one play where Draymond just basically chased Jason Tatum all the way into the backcourt and then just never let him back in after that. So it's awesome to see that Draymond back again, and hopefully we see him for the rest of this series. He went right to, I mean, within five seconds of the game starting, he goes right after Al Horford. It was like a message delivered. We are a different outfit tonight. We are playing aggressively. We got John on the line. What's up, John? Hey, uh, you know, your point about Draymond Green, like if people like him, if he's your guy, but you hate him if he's the other guy, a classic example of that, me being a Bulls fan, was I hated Dennis Rodman all those years when he was playing for the Pistons, but then when when the Bulls picked him up, you loved the guy. Right. He's a weird dude, but he's a great rebounder, so we'll take him. But he also gets—he also does all kind of antics where he gets in the other guy's head. So, uh, but yeah, when you're playing against him, you hate him, but you like him when he's your guy. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I, I think Draymond Green does have, a, although he's much more conventional than Dennis Rodman. But yeah, I can see the—I uh, can see the similarities. Thanks for the call. Go ahead if you have something. Let's do this. Let's take a uh, quick timeout. See if I can find what you have delivered to me. And uh, hopefully this will be here. And you know what's funny? I'm looking again, and I still don't see this. 
So perhaps I'm going to have to wait till I'm around the bend on my email. Don't know why I'm not uh, seeing this, but I'm not. So we'll do this. We'll take a quick time out. We are going to be right back after this on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu. You're listening to the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Text or call the show at 296 1420. Hey, Dad or you could win a share of over $1,000 in prizes for Father's Day. Enter ESPN Honolulu's Most Handsome Dad Contest, presented by Yoas Sorbets and Aquascape. Submit a photo of your handsome dad to win big this Father's Day. For more details and to enter, go to ESPNHonolulu.com. We've been, uh, we've been talking about what I think is going to emerge as one of the really good NBA finals that we've seen recently. I, I think what we'll avoid for the most part is the 30-point blowouts that we saw in some of the previous rounds. That didn't seem to be a feature. Now what it looks like is can a team just get you down a little bit and then run out on you for 12, 14 points? That seems to be more the separator in these games, I, I'm impressed with the talent level. I mean, some of these guys are so good. I've had this thought before. I think I expressed it last week even that one of the big differences between the pros and other levels of the NBA and other levels of basketball is just the shooting is so much better. I mean, look at how many guys you're seeing. There's six, eight, six, nine, six, ten that can drain threes. I mean, it's crazy. You'll watch Al Horford some nights, and he's four or five. Nuts, and he's 6'10". Go ahead if you have something uh, you want to weigh in on that. I think there's going to be an opportunity for Boston, but I don't think they can afford to squander. When they get a chance to put a run on Golden State, especially in Boston, they've got to take advantage of it. I don't think they can afford to lose two. In Boston, I kind of see this one is going to be split. You just look at the history, 26 straight series, playoff series, that Golden State's got at least one win on the road. Crazy, right? That's, but that's a pretty good record. Not going against that. And we've seen Boston vulnerable at home. So I don't see any reason to think, okay, just concede – all these games in Boston to the Celtics. I just don't think it's going to work that way. Go ahead if uh, you have something that you should like to chat about. We would, uh, we'll be happy to discuss that with you. One of the things I'm noticing, like, you never notice how NBA teams are very fast and loose with which uniforms they wear, home, away, whatever. It does seem like so far anyway, we've seen Golden State in their home whites. Despite the fact that in the pregame, for game one, they were in blue. They just got to go in, switch it out, which is kind of interesting. And the Celtics are going with that green, which is pretty distinctive. I think it's hard to say otherwise. Go ahead if you have something. It's 38 minutes past the hour. And we have, uh, we have ample time because we did have some confusion about one of our guest spots today. So we... Uh, we will get that guest probably tomorrow or another day.
but we do have some uh, ample time right now if you have something you want to get to. 296-1420. Let's do this. We'll take a quick time out. We will be right back on ESPN Honolulu. Follow us on Twitter at Bobby Curran Show. This is ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app. Time for the Hawaii Rainbow Warrior Youth Skills Camp starting June 13th. There are eight four-day camps for boys and girls entering kindergarten through eighth grade. So to register, go to hawaiiathletics.com, click on the camps button, and get your up-to-date instruction on baseball. We got a couple of things to get to. I think if you had to go through NFL and find out or certainly ascribe teams in a struggle. I'm just going to give you one of my struggle teams right off the bat. I think Seattle is going to struggle. What's your thought on that? Well, I mean, I feel like when you look at it, the first thing you look at is quarterback. Right now, they're, they don't even know who their starting quarterback is. It's going to be between Drew Locke and Geno Smith. Right now, this is Geno Smith, of course, of New York Jets, uh, in fame, right. is that is, that would be kind of a short way of saying infamous. Yeah. But yeah, he had that one game where I think he was subbing in for Russell Wilson immediately and was playing like lights out until a last play interception lost them the game off of a slipping Tyler Lockett. I'll give Geno Smith that one. But other than that, he hasn't done much to really impress the NFL since being drafted a couple of years ago, a while ago. I can't remember the exact draft. And then his main competitor is Drew Locke, uh, someone they traded for when they in that Russell Wilson package. And now Drew Locke has shown a couple of flashes. He had that last, I think, five-game stretch in his rookie year where he looked really good against, like, bottom-tier defenses in the NFL. Right. So I'll take that with a grain of salt. His preseason, he looked really good. Unfortunately, was beaten out by Teddy Bridgewater, another one of like those, you know, good enough quarterbacks. So I don't know where the uh, line is for them right now, but looking at their team, obviously the rebuilding. They got two good bookends from the draft in Abraham Lucas and um, Charles Cross from Mississippi State. They got their running back in Kenneth Walker from Michigan State. They have a lot of pieces on the defense that maybe can develop into something. It was, I think it was their rookie linebacker for me the last year or two years ago. I, his name is escaping me right. right now, but he seems to be, they seem comfortable with him replacing Bobby Wagner, who of course was also cut this offseason. So it's obviously a rebuild. But I think there are some pieces on the Seattle Seahawks team where you can't ignore it because in a couple of years, We'll probably be talking about this team, you know, coming back in the playoffs and being like, look at look at when this rebuilding phase started. I, I and did, it won't be with Drew Locke or Geno Smith right. as the starting quarterback. I think it's going to depend on who their quarterback is, and these are unknowable things at this point. Just I'm just saying, that's how it's working. I heard yesterday, by the way, I have to put Keyshawn Johnson on the list of haters on tour because I'm listening to him, and he's like, oh, okay, Everybody knows, everybody's talking about, I'd like to know who everybody is because he clearly is not there. Everybody's talking about how 
how Bridgewater looks better throwing the football than Tua. I, I would like to, I need a little more than that. I need a little bit of, okay, who did you get that from? What person at the camp came with that insight? Because that's, we're not hearing that generally from the, from the Dolphins guys. When we've had people on like Josh Houts and when we talk to people, that's not the report we're getting. So I just wonder if Keyshawn is one of those guys. He made up his mind when Tua got injured against Mississippi State at Alabama. He made up his mind this is not a top flight, top flight quarterback. And anything that's happened since, he uses as evidence to support that position. Just, just saying. That's how it seems to me. 296-1420 is the number. Because I don't have an issue with Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think Teddy's a bad quarterback. But I think at this point, you'd pretty much have to put the capstone on Journeyman, wouldn't you? I mean, it just seems to me that at this stage, that's a Journeyman. You know, look in the picture of Journeyman, and there he is. There's, there's Teddy. 296-1420, go ahead if you have something. Hey, I think at some point, your experience determines whether or not you're a journeyman quarterback. I mean, listen, we're not saying, I'm not casting aspersions. I'm not saying those guys can't make a living. I was shocked to see what uh, Fitzmagic had made in the course of his career yesterday. Wasn't that amazing, Tanner? I, thought, I was expecting that number because, I mean, as much as we want to, like, I love Ryan Fitzpatrick, mostly because he had always had that ability to play at a very high level, just kind of out of nowhere. I think I had mentioned in the buyer sell when I mentioned when I talked about him, he did have two ten win seasons. Both of them, sure, he didn't get to the playoffs in either of them, but I think that just says that he's over his career has proven that he can play at least for one season very well. I think with every team that he's been with, he has a moment with every single one of them. Whether it be, you know, starting for the Bills for 40 years. In his first ever game played with the Rams, he leads them to like a 20-point comeback. The first three games of his career at Tampa Bay where he was just outright just outplaying Jameis Winston and he was wearing Deshaun Jackson's like shirt with the like the deep-cut V. And then, of course, with Miami, he had that play with the hand in his face mask, and he just threw it up, and they caught it, and eventually, I can't remember if that was a game-winning drive or not, but Ryan Fitzpatrick, over his career, has proven to be one of the better backup quarterbacks to have, and if not hit that, a good bridge quarterback to get to something better next. So seeing that, I think it was like 80 mil or something like that, I that's pretty solid. Num- I mean, pretty solid numbers, especially from a quarterback who's probably going to be paid a lot in a 17-year career. He's going to have a pretty good pension, even. So don't forget that. 296, 1420. But it did seem like a lot for a guy that was, you know, oftentimes a clipboard holder to, to realize he had made $80 million. Now, listen, he got off the clipboard a number of times when people got hurt. But, you know, neither Teddy Bridgewater nor Magic are the kind of guys that, for some reason, they don't, inspire coaching staffs with confidence. That's how I would put it. Because even when Teddy's been good for a year, doesn't it always seem like he's fighting off someone for the job? It's never like, wow, good years, it's your job. 
just doesn't seem to happen for Bridgewater for well, with, whatever reason. With the Vikings in his first couple of years, I thought he pretty much had that job for a while until uh, due to his unfortunate injury where it was the non-contact ACL tear, which took him basically two or three seasons to get better from. So, yeah, I think when you play four years and then you got two or three years of basically injury rehab, you're not going to be the same guy that you were in that first four years. And I think Teddy Bridgewater, he's okay. He and Ryan Fitzpatrick both fall into that tier of, yeah, you're good enough. Maybe not a franchise guy. No, but you can play in the league. But he ain't. But they're not backups. And I think if you have them as backups, they're more than serviceable. They're not like a Chase Daniel holding the clipboard forever. No. They're there. They're there to compete. They're there to make whoever you want to start better. And if the person who you want to start isn't doing better, then you're comfortable enough into hopping back over and to be like, okay, Teddy, okay, Ryan, here's the ball. Finish the season for us so that we could at least get somewhere. I think another guy that falls into that category is Tarod Taylor, who's, I believe, with the Giants now. And he's been a really great guy for all of the rookies that come after him, or at least that he's on the roster of. Another you guy look at, that's you, a pretty good player. Yeah, because you look at, I think he started with the Ravens, then after that was the Bills, then you saw him go be there for Cleveland. He goes out, then Baker starts. Then he goes to the Chargers. Right, then he gets out, and then Justin Herbert gets there. Then he goes to the Texans. Then he gets hurt, and now I won't. I'm a I'm a pretty big Davis Mills guy, so I will say that he goes out and Davis Mills is there, who nice. by the end of the year was actually doing pretty solid. So now he's with the Giants. So maybe if you're the Giants, you just start to Rod Taylor. He gets hurt, and then Daniel Jones somehow becomes as good as some of these other quarterbacks that's had to replace Terod Taylor. And there he is back again in your backyard. 296-1420 is the number. Go ahead if you, uh, if you, have, you want to weigh in. I mean, who would you take if somebody said to you, okay, you're going to start one game in the NFL? Just roll back the clock a couple of years. If it's, if it's Magic or it's, it's uh, Bridgewater, who would you prefer? I'm taking Fitzpatrick. I'm yeah. taking Fitzmagic. Sure, people call him. I call him Fitzmagic. Other people call him Fitzception due to you know picks. But I think as a thrower, I've always loved Fitzpatrick's ball. I think there was this one where in his in the game that I was talking about before with the St. Louis Rams when he was a rookie and they had to go to the third string, which was Ryan Fitzpatrick, and they came back from a twenty point one uh, point deficit. Off of Ryan Fitzpatrick, he had a beautiful ball to. Uh, not, it wasn't. It wasn't to hold. Nice ball, I'm trying to way. remember who it was, but it was right on the money. And so, from a seventh rounder from Harvard to do that in his rookie year, I think that just showed. He, sure, he's not. He doesn't have that like clutch gene of a Joe Montana. He doesn't have a Tom Brady. He's not Aaron Rodgers, but he's Ryan Fitzpatrick. He'll do what he can for you to get that huge contract with the next team, have one good year, and then just implode. When you think of it, I mean, he has had a heck of a career. Earnings, all that bit, credibility. He started for nine different teams. Name recognition, no question about it. He's had one heck of a nice career. Was he ever a star? No, of course not. But, you know, when you come out of Harvard, was anyone expecting stardom? 296 
1420 uh, is our number. We've got a, a minute or two if you wanted to weigh in. Do you have a quarterback? Do you, Tanner, have a quarterback that you think, look out, he's going to be something special this year? I just mentioned him a couple of uh, minutes ago. I think Davis Mills has something in him. Uh, last year in the draft process, I was baffled by Davis Mills getting any attention. I was like, why are we even talking about this guy? He did nothing in college. So what if he was a five-star quarterback coming out of high school? Why is he getting drafted in the third round? Why is this the first pick for the Houston Texans that they have this year? Why are they using it on Davis Mills? And then by the end of the year, like I remember when he started, I'm like, oh, God, Davis Mills is coming in. But I think, you know, he has a lot of good mechanics. And especially if you watch, I think, the Chargers game where the Houston Texans beat the Chargers, he has some good zip to the ball. And I think especially with the coaching staff around him, I got some confidence that he could surprise some people. They're not going to win the division, but I think they'll win like six games. And I think it'll be because of Davis. He had a knack for keeping his team in there someplace. They very rarely, even when he was with the Dolphins, they very rarely got blown out. We'll, we've got to take a quick timeout. We'll be right back on the Bobby Curran Show ESPN Honolulu. The Bobby Curran Show, brought to you by IBEW Local 1186. Lighting your path to the future. Now, Bobby Curran on ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii Come back. Time for our favorite daily feature. The Bobby Curran Show presents Buy or Sell. All righty, Bobby. Let's go ahead and jump into Buy or Sell today. Obviously, last night was game two of the NBA Finals as the Golden State Warriors get back on track, taking it to the Boston Celtics in, of course, from this NBA playoffs, a blowout victory as Steph Curry and Jordan Poole. I, will, I won't say Steph Curry found a shot. He basically played as well as he did in game one, maybe a little more consistent as Jordan Poole found a shot in the absence of Klay Thompson. If we want to talk about absences, we could cross the court to the Boston Celtics oh as they saw Marcus Smart and Al Horford combine for four points. Jalen Brown missing shots here and there and everywhere. But hey, Jason Tatum found a shot. Yeah. Buy or sell. This is a really, really bad loss for the Boston Celtics, but they're right where they need to be to win the finals with the series split going back to Boston. I don't even think it was that bad of a loss. It's just that they had an opportunity. I love the way Mark Jackson's opportunity is so New York, but he gets, they did have an opportunity. There's no question to jump both legs right smack on the back of the neck of Golden State and they could not do it. So I think there is a lack there and it's been plaguing them all year, especially third quarters. They have issues there. They've got to get that fixed or they're going to lose this series to Golden State. Buy, 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 buy. or sell. Sell, sell, sell. And talking about Clay Thompson, he really hasn't really done much 
it feels like we should put out an amber alert for Klay Thompson these days because we just, while he is on the court, over the two games, his plus minus is zero. Basically saying, while on the court, he literally has zero effect on the score while he's playing. And he's just been kind of shoddy from three-point line. But where Clay has taken a little bit to get better, we've seen Steph come back to his MVP form, back to his late 2010s form, as well as, like I mentioned before, stepping up from Jordan Poole, who seems to have find, found his shot again, especially with that uh, last-second half-court shot by or sell. While it is taking a bit for Clay Thompson, watching basketball is so much more fun with a healthy and hot Stephen Curry. I think I'm going to have to buy you on that. By the way, when they talk about plus or minus, and you were mentioning Clay Thompson, I think Justin Tatum was like minus 36 or something. Some ridiculous thing on his plus minus. I, I don't... Sometimes those things easily meet the eye test. Others, not so much. Sometimes if you weren't told that, you wouldn't know it. You know, that, that happens, I think. 296 1420 uh, is the number. Go ahead. If you, if you feel you want to weigh in, if you have a thought on Jason Tatum, I love the guy's game. I think he's just a spectacular shooter. I don't know what it is that he sometimes just does the disappearing act where there's just nothing much coming from him. I mean, try to think of a time when you could say that about Steph Curry. It's very, very rare. And, or Giannis. I mean, there are certain guys that you almost never could say, well, I don't really know where they were tonight. But that happens occasionally with Jason Tatum. I think he's got to fight. Now, people forget this. He's only, what is he, 24? I mean, he's just uh, scratching the surface. I think he's going to be a great player. I think the, the Celtics are going to be a really good team for a lot of years. I, I just, how I'm seeing it right now, I don't see that there's a lot of problems for them. Uh, do you have something else here? Go, fire. Buy, 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 buy. or sell. Sell, sell, sell. And then a big news from this weekend as Quinn Snyder is stepping down from the Utah Jazz after making the playoffs six years in a row. It simply was not enough from Quinn Snyder to get the Utah Jazz past the second round with the duo of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert as the coaching search begins immediately for Danny Ainge and crew down in Utah. Buy or sell? If you're the Utah Jazz, the one and only priority is keeping Donovan Mitchell in Utah. That's a strong statement. I'm not sure that's true. Um, I, You obviously have the impression that Quinn Snyder has basically been asked to leave. I, it's funny, from the accounts I was reading yesterday, I got more the impression that they really had hoped he would stay and that the decision to leave, maybe they're going to call it mutual, but I got the impression it was his call, that he just got tired of beating his head against the wall. What's your th what is your thought on that? Well, when I... Said it. I thought I had said, you know, Quinn Snyder's planning to step down. So I do agree with you that it's probably the end of the line for Quinn. I just don't know what more he could do with 
the stuff that he was given with Utah Jazz. You were given a multi, you know, defensive player of the year in Rudy Gobert. You were given one of the most electric young stars in the league in Donovan Mitchell, a guy who I think this was in the NBA bubble, dueled with uh, Jamal Murray, and they were basically exchanging 50-point games, 60-point games. So Donovan clearly has it. And it's not like to say that this Jazz team has been weak because they have solid role players like Mike Conley, like Jordan Clarkson last year's sixth man of the year. So when you look at this season for the Utah Jazz, I didn't really see a lot of change from this year and last year other than, like, what, trading Joe Ingles for I don't know who from the Portland Trailblazers. And a lot of, you know... Just a lot of stuff being said about stuff behind the locker room from Donovan Mitchell, who is clearly dissatisfied with the situation in Utah, whether it be his former best friend Rudy Gobert giving him COVID two years ago, what basically caused the shutdown. didn't really seem to get over that very easily. No, and obviously it's two two different styles of play. Rudy Gobert is a guy who will stay in the paint and block. And that's it. He'll block and he'll rebound, and maybe he'll post up. I remember at the end of the year last year where it was like Donovan Mitchell averages two passes to Rudy Gobert a game last season. I remember that stat being like poured out from Twitter, poured out from ESPN, and it's like clearly there's some dissatisfaction in this relationship between your two best players. So maybe if you're Danny Ainge and you want to keep your best player, which is Donovan Mitchell, no doubt. Maybe the answer is trading Rudy Gobert. And true, he is your defensive stalwart, but when it comes down the line, well, here's my thing. you don't have a guy to stretch the court for I you. I hear you, but what are you going to get for him? That's the thing. Rudy Gobert is not a guy that has like massive trade value, I don't think. That's the problem with a guy like Gobert. Well, at that point, then I feel like you just got to eat it. You just got to be like, well, cut him loose loose and try to get something for him. You know what I mean? Like, you don't just want him to, you know, fade off into free agency and being like, dang, if only we could have done something with that. It doesn't matter if it's like a second round pick, because I know Danny Ainge loves his uh, draft accumulation. I remember that from being a Boston fan for all these years. But. I feel like you could probably trade him to a team that's buying, that needs a center. We've seen a lot of centers who are good on defense get really great, you know, not not really great, like, trade stock, but there's a lot of value in it. Look at Cleveland, who has, who I think, two very great defensive centers in Jarrett Allen and Evan Mobley because they both do two different things while also playing defense. Because Jared Allen is going to be your block, he's going to be your blocker, your rebounder, your rim protector. While Mobley, he'll also get you blocks, but he'll stretch the floor. So maybe in another situation, Rudy Gobert becomes your Jared Allen I, to I, your I, Evan I Mobley. That. I can buy that. I think that's maybe what you have to do there, simply because it's eight years now in the Quinn Snyder deal. And where are you advancing? I I don't see a place where progress is being made. You know a team that desperately needed a center this year? Or maybe even a number two or a number three guy? Maybe Dallas. Dallas needed a center. Yeah. 
they needed someone to at least enforce anything down low. Right. Because I don't think Dwight Powell was doing that for you. Kleber's not doing it. And because Kleber's your stretch the floor guy. He can shoot the three. Right. And so maybe maybe Dallas does make that move. And I think if you're looking at Utah, maybe trade a pick. Because if you're Dallas, you're not you're not thinking picks right now. You're thinking we just went to the Western Conference Finals and right now we need a guy, maybe like a Tyson Chandler for Dirk Nowitzki back in two thousand eleven, where you get your defensive player of the year, rebounder, defender, rim protector for your international superstar who's <laughs> Very okay on defense, but uh, offensive superstar in Luka Doncic. Right. And you can keep up that international theme that Dallas Mavericks really love. Well, I mean, Luka Doncic is a real deal player off- offensively. I-, I think he's got a lot. But I- I'll tell you, when you watch him move on the court, there's no reason on God's earth that Doncic couldn't be a better defender than he is. He's got enough ability to be a decent defender. He just hasn't committed to it yet. And unlike Ben Simmons, I can see him committing a summer to working on his weakness. Yeah, me too. You don't think Ben Simmons is capable of that at this point? Dude, no, that's good, pretty good. Uh, you, may, you might be totally right on that. 11 minutes passed. If you have something, you want to get to it, go ahead, 296-1420 is the, uh, is the number. I, you know what? I was really thinking about this later before because you brought up the Joe Judge thing. I, every time I see Joe Judge's name in print, I am so glad that he's not associated with the New York football giants anymore. I would, Do you remember the game? It was late. It was November, I think, when they were way down and they were handing it off up the middle. I was like, who is this? What are you doing? This is a professional football team. That was the day that I just thought, okay, Joe Judge, he has to go. And they can't wait another year. So I actually think this is a positive for the Giants to have Dayball and Shine, who both, Shane rather, who both work together in Buffalo. I think that's going to become the model in the NFL. I think you want to get guys that are familiar with each other. It makes sense. Now I cannot wait to see what. Uh, what Coach Mike does with two in the offense in Miami. I, I just think that's going to be really interesting because he showed enough that he's willing to kind of tap the creative resource. He is not one of those cut-and-dried guys. So does that work? I don't know. I kind of like it going in. It's, I can imagine, though, it's probably the sort of thing where you could say, you know, three months in, you might say, well, shoot, I don't know why we thought that was going to work. 296, 1420. That's the risk, right? That's the risk if you decide you're going to take a chance with a little something that's out there. I don't, like, I kind of thought when I, they announced that Dennis Allen was going to be the coach of the Saints, I mean, here's a lifelong defensive guy. I'm thinking they're taking a little chance here. They're going from one of the best offensive guys in football to a guy who's been a defensive guy his whole life. Does that make great sense? I would say, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it will. Maybe it'll turn out to be perfect. Go ahead if you have something. 296-1420. We got to take a quick time out. We'll be right back on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN, Honolulu. 
The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by PVT Land Company, supporting academics, athletics, and the community on the YNI Coast. Welcome back on this Monday edition of the program. We've got a couple of things uh, to get to. We are very shortly going to talk with Gabe Lacks from USA Today. This has been a really interesting baseball season. I, I'm finding it fairly fascinating. Now, on the heels of what did they win? What did they lose, rather, nine or ten in a row, the Angels? We were all talking about this look like the year that the Angels might be going to the playoffs. Suddenly, it's not looking like that at all. It's looking like another year where Mike Trout and Shohei Otani sit home in October and just watch everybody else perform for glory. That's just how it looks. I don't know what it is, but they seem to find a way to collapse come June. Uh, this time they didn't wait that long. They started it in May. Go ahead uh, if you have something you want to weigh in. I don't. I just start to think Arnie Moreno maybe isn't the answer there. I mean, they've tried things like, which I thought was a good idea. They just used every single draft pick for pitching. Every one. Well, it, maybe the pitching is a little better, but it's not gone through the roof. And now you're into the dog days sort of of summer, and it's really starting to get, uh, it's starting to look hopeless a little bit for the Angels. If you have, do you have a favorite baseball player? And, I, you know, we know the team thing. Who's your favorite base? Do you have a favorite baseball player, a guy that you just say, I can't take my eyes off this guy? Well, obviously Shohei. Okay. I love Shohei. But, and then, I just, I mean, like, just to, like, talk about this losing streak for the Angels, it's terrible. Yes. But when you look at it, a lot of it is close, and unfortunately it's close games that you do want to win. But you're losing series to the Blue Jays, the Yankees, and the Phillies. So the Blue Jays and the Phillies are probably those series where you probably at least want to see some wins, but the Phillies themselves are on a good winning streak after the firing of Joe Girardi. The Blue Jays were a team that I think a lot of people expected to be really good coming out of the season. Maybe even a champion. Maybe even a championship, and they're slowly trying to get back into that winning cycle. And the Yankees are the Yankees. Um, when you – but – when you see a 0-10 to 10 loss to the Phillies, when, if you're the Angels, you're just thinking, what are you doing, man? Yeah. You just got to put something out there. Whether It doesn't even matter if the other team is hot because of a, a quick change or something. Obviously, there needs to be something worked out in the bullpen. Maybe, maybe Shohei needs to do CPR on his bat again. Right, right. Maybe if they need to perform on some kind of medical That's action funny. just on the entire team. Because right now the Angels look bad. They and do. right now the Astros are back in the lead for that division. And it's probably something that all Angels fans probably just despise seeing, whether it be, you know, a 10-game losing streak and the Astros directly in front of you. I, I just kind of think, and I used to have, I used to listen to criticism when he was in Chicago about Joe Madden. You know, he'd been Tampa. He'd been a number of places. Seems to be a good, smart manager. Everybody always seems the way 
like the way he situation subs, the way he moves pitches in and out. I, I'm not seeing a ton of people giving him big credit, big props for his work so far in, in Los Angeles. Are you? I'm not really seeing that. So suddenly he seems to be one of those guys that's pinned down on things that are not great. So it goes. We're going to have very shortly uh, Gabe Lax with us. I, You know, there's certain teams, and I think you could just confide. I try not to bring this up as much because I just think people hate it. I think people hate that New York obsession that many native New Yorkers have, that like the Yankees and the Mets. I, I just think a lot of people just can't stand that. They're like, oh, please, go bother somebody else with that. But I think you can't really ignore that they're both really good this year. Those are two really good teams. Now, the Mets, you could say, kind of in some ways went out and bought the damn thing because you, get, you go get Max Scherzer. You had Jacob deGrom. You pick up Chris Bassett. You're getting guys that can play. Francisco Lindor had that poor year after signing his contract. He's all in now. He's playing really well. I just think basically you look around and you say, the Mets are doing pretty good work here. I mean, they are now taking advantage of the fact that they went from the shallowest pockets in the league to the deepest pockets with Steve Cohen, who is apparently it's not close. He's the wealthiest man in baseball, and it's not, it's really not a competition. 296, 14, 20. What I've been surprised at is some of those guys, you know, a lot of guys who are incredibly successful in their own lives are a little unwilling to take advice from anybody else on anything. That doesn't seem to be the case with Steve Cohen. He's always telling people, tell me why I need to spend this $300 million. I'm not opposed to it. I, I, but I need an argument. I want to hear a foundational argument on it. And when he gets the one he's looking for, he pulls the trigger. Where the Wilpons used to be saying, oh, my God, I am going to have candy kisses for everybody if I like what I'm hearing. I mean, they didn't have any dough. They were out of money. They got crushed on that thing with the, the Madoff deal. So they didn't have any money. 296, 1420. I just think what when we see good ownership, and I would say the Dodgers fit in that category, and of late, it'd be hard pressed not to put the Yankees in there because they're they're getting value for money. That's the thing. They probably are starting to think now, if I was them, I'd be looking at that deal with uh, Aaron Judge and saying, okay, everything went good until that one. I should have just said, Aaron, come on, how about 275? No one's paying you that, but I'm gonna. Because right now, that would look like a bargain. Because I have seen a couple of accounts of guys saying, okay, get, get used to this. The Aaron Judge contract starts off with 300. That's the number that they'll be talking. It's gonna be $300 million. That's, it just seems crazy, doesn't it? I know it, it certainly does, but the guy's having a heck of a year. Be very difficult to argue that. 296-1420, go ahead. If you want to tell us something about Aaron Judge. I mean, the Yankees have played since George Steinbrenner was there. They're way more conservative on money. There's no question about that. I would say the the. Uh, Dodgers have kind of taken their place. And now, to some extent, I'm not saying the transformation's complete, 
but to some extent the Mets because they have the deep pockets. When they added Scherzer, I was like, oh, wow. Now that is not your father's New York Mets team. To already have the best pitcher in baseball in DeGrom and then to add Scherzer? I mean, that wasn't happening. That's not the kind of thing for 30 years that the Mets were doing, period. Two nine six. When they were good, they were good by accident. 296, 1420 uh, is that number. I, I will talk to you about Yankees or Mets all day, but I also get that many people would just as soon never utter the word Yankees or Mets the rest of their natural lives. I get it. It's okay. Listen, when you come from New York, you get the. It didn't take you long to figure out that everybody in the rest of the world thinks you're obnoxious. All you had to do was go away to college to get that one, that lesson learned. 296-1420. You know, with the Mets, I think the whole thing with them is you're always expecting them to implode. And it happened, you know, the year, last year. Happened last year, year before that, year before that, probably also the year before that. And I'd probably say probably every year there's some some kind of implosion that happens. And at the beginning of the year, you were like, oh, no, DeGrom's out. It's already starting for the New York Mets. And then they start hot. You're like, okay, 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 maybe, maybe they're good. Scherzer's doing good. Lindor's doing a little, you know, Lindor's still not that great, but Scherzer's there, and he's doing amazing. Scherzer's out for for a month and a half or two months. Oh, God, here comes the Mets implosion. And now Lindor's having, like, a career year, and you're like, okay, maybe they're fine again. And then Lindor fractures a finger while closing a door. And you're like, what? And then, like, a week later, oh, news came out. Max Scherzer's hand bit by his own dog. And it's like, what's happening right now? But, of course, throughout all that, Lindor's still still out here, still still having a really amazing year, especially compared to last year. Scherzer seems to be still on schedule with his oblique I believe it was an oblique injury or something core for sure. But I think what you're talking about is true. Well, Tyler McGill, remember he filled it for DeGrom. He was like earth-shattering. Exactly. And I think it's exactly what you say. Everyone wants to see the clown show, especially when it comes to New York franchises. Yes. You can't tell me that people were so happy to not see the Knicks in the NBA playoffs this year because we got them – we got them last year, and I think that was like, okay, that was it. And they were boring. Yep. And it's like, thank you. That, that's your one playoff year for the next couple of years. So now you guys can be happy, and we don't need to see you guys come back up again. But with the Mets, I'm excited. My brother's a big Mets guy, so I know he's excited about it. And I just I think it's going to be a fun year, especially when if we do see you know a return of DeGrom you know, back to where he's coming. You see Scherzer come back. Lindor keeps this up. And you still got the polar bear out there and Pete Alonzo. So who knows? Maybe this maybe this truly is the year for New York. Just, I wonder just though, don't look at the basketball or football. No, no, or here's what, I say. what I wonder is the is this New York stage big enough to have both Mets and Yankees be as prominent? Because Steve Cohen is not a wallflower, even though he does not have the need to make himself front and center. Now, with George Steinbrenner long passed from us, I don't think Hal Steinbrenner, the other Steinbrenner brothers, are not as prone to that. 
maybe this is the perfect opportunity for Steve Cohen to walk in and take over. Someone, just like they people told me, you'll never supplant the Lakers in L.A. It's a Lakers town, period. Neil Everett must have told me that five or six times. So he said, yeah. I said, well, I always see these guys, Billy Crystal and so-and-so are in. He goes, yeah, they have their couple of guys. But that's what it is. It's not like it's competition for the Lakers. Well, I think that's always been equally true of the Yankees and the Mets. But I'm, I don't see anything that tells me that that will inherently be so. If the Mets start winning 105 games all the time and the Yankees are at 90, the Yankees will take center stage, especially with Steve Cohen able to go get whatever player he – what a luxury. Get whatever player he wants. Craziness. We got to take a quick time out here. Let's do this. Let's let's invite Gabe Lax. He'll be with us from USA Today. We'll have lots of things to talk about. Does he have the New York bias? We're going to find out right here on ESPN Honolulu. The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by Dr. Charles Arakaki at Ohana Men's Clinic. Visit drcharlesarakaki.com. Welcome back. Time to talk a little baseball. It's been a really interesting baseball season, but I thought I'd start this off because Gabe Lax is with us. He's from USA Today. He's a national guy. I don't know if you find this true or if you have a little bias creeping in on the edges because whenever I talk to any of my friends about, wow, it looks like we could have a Subway Series, that is met with such disdain, such complete like disgust that I would even think that I don't know what that is there's something about maybe the New Yorker personality but the idea of Mets Yankees bothers people the way Cardinals Royals doesn't uh, where it wouldn't be the A's and the Dodgers I mean other other of those sort of right even the White Sox Cubbies wouldn't drive people as crazy as Yankees Mets. What what is that, Gabe? That's a good question. I mean, I think I think you know the you know the perception of East Coast bias is very real. Uh, the existence of East Coast bias, I mean, it it certainly does exist, uh, and the extent of it can certainly vary a good bit. So I, I think uh, you know naturally, if you live outside the uh, the Manhattan bubble, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you certainly recognize that there's maybe a disproportionate amount of, uh, of coverage uh, for certain teams, particularly the Yankees. So uh, I think I think a Subway Series might be a lot of people's nightmare, even though, uh, you know, it's kind of cool when there is sort of a, a regional thing. Uh, regional matchups typically don't do well in ratings because sure. the fandom is concentrated in one area. But I, I always think it's kind of cool just because you learn the, intricacies of sort of the uh, customs and traditions of, of certain places. So, you know, we'll see, man. <laughs> well, when there was a Subway Series, it wasn't too long ago now, I guess. But Benny Agbayani, I can't remember some of the guys on the Mets. And that, uh, it was not a great Met team. They really backed into the thing. I, I just kind of feel like, well, nobody would have to apologize for the level of baseball that's being played by both New York teams right now. No, not at all, and they're they're very good. And uh, I think uh, you know I think it's safe to just uh, 
term them that way. I, you know, it's funny, but Subway Series is putting the cart way ahead of the horse and not even worth worrying about because yeah. – the playoffs are are such a, a crapshoot and become you know they're very random, and I think these teams, I'm not sure how well built they are for the playoffs. I mean, I think they're very well built for the playoffs, but some sometimes teams come along and you just know that they're going to be as good in October as they were during the season. Uh, the one team I always come back to in that vein was the the 2018 Red Sox, who won 108 games and then just kind of pile drive their way to the to the world series uh you get these teams into october we'll see you know obviously yeah. so much unknown about about scherzer and Degrom, you know and, and how i mean it kind of doesn't matter at this point the mets are the mets are going to win the east so you know we'll we'll find out where they're at uh you know four months from now that's such a long ways away i want so, to i before i forget this i want to get this to you right away because the jim cott i guess had made the comment he's working for minnesota where he had much of his career and for some odd now the guy's in his 80s but he says with this i just think it was almost hilarious to me because it was it was so obvious a guy just reaching for a rhyme but he calls him nestor cortez he calls him nestor the molester it became like this big thing and i'm like wow there's no is there is there a a a sell-by date where you get a pass because you're old? I guess not. Yeah, and I this in concert with some very unfortunate comments he made on an MLB Network playoff broadcast. Uh, <laughs> I I think the pass should probably be revoked uh, just because it's it's not great. You know, I mean, sometimes you can maybe give somebody a uh, give somebody a you know, a, an old person pass because maybe they lost their marbles a bit or maybe they said something that was once accepted. But uh, there's been a couple of these instances now, and it gets to a point where it is not, you know, it is not pleasant and even damaging uh, for a viewer to have to hear this. The interesting thing is, uh, the, you know, the very uh, kind of discomforting phrase that he used was uh, used for a very prominent uh, NFL cornerback uh, as early as the as the late 80, mid to late 80s, and uh, was even put in headlines and newspapers and, and all this kind of stuff. So I mean, you know, it, it's, it's a I was a, world it, is your point. I was a kid back then, and it struck me as not great then. <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't think they should be calling him this. You know, and, and you know, I mean, clearly we're, you know, things have changed quite a bit. So. You know, I, I think, you know, a, a wink and a nod and a, and a semi, you know, sincere apology probably shouldn't cut it anymore. So <laughs> I, you know, I got to give a shout out. I'm going to give a shout out, though, to Nestor Cortez, because he totally diffused that. He just said, you know, I've had boy, I've had this nickname and that nickname in the course. I mean, he said, I listen, I'm just happy to be here. I'm trying to put together a good season so far as well. He just completely deflected it and didn't spend any time on worrying about it or calling out for retribution or any of that. I just thought, wow, what a different world it would be if not only people didn't say things like Jim Cott said, but if everybody reacted to them like Nestor Cortez did. Well, it depends, you know, it, it, it does depend on, on how it does make the individual feel and maybe you know, maybe you'll see some guys not comment on it because maybe, like, it does hurt them. Uh, you know, it depends on what's being said. Uh, maybe they don't have the emotional bandwidth to deal with it. Uh, 
uh, others it might roll off their shoulder a little more, you know? So, I mean, it's, uh, it's just, I think, uh, I think it's tough to have kind of a, you know, a up and down sort of expectation of, of what reaction will be. Um, you know, I mean, I think, I think, you know, he, if he wanted to blast uh, Cot, he could have, and, yes. and people wouldn't have thought, to, thought twice of it. Uh, but yeah, and you know, he's at the uh, fortune of speaking with him a couple weeks back, and, and he's a pretty, you know, he seems like a pretty easygoing guy. And uh, you know, maybe just uh, like why, uh, you know, his maybe his mentality was just why stir up what he figured was water under the bridge. Yeah, I, well, I wish the guy good luck because he's having. I mean, I you don't see this all that often. He's not a kid, and it just seems like everything fell right where his velocity's up and his his uh, mastery of the plate is better than it's been. The guy is having a magnificent year. Yeah, and we, we had a great talk about what's making him good, uh, and, and one of the things, he, two things he mentioned. One was, uh, and, you know, you just never know what relationships might uh, might breed uh you know a positive change but uh he was in dominican winter league with odrissimer uh, de spain uh, who was a pitcher uh kind of a journeyman guy uh-huh. a few years ago padres orioles a few others uh and and he taught him uh he taught him the grip on his cut fastball and uh it was like okay that's good that's you know that's helpful thank you and it kind of didn't it wasn't like a eureka moment but as he got older as he got a little stronger uh, managed to add just two miles an hour to his fastball. You know, now he's instead of upper 80s guy, he's a lower 90s guy, 91, 92. And just that little uptick managed to make, uh, you know, his secondary offerings that much more effective. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a great case study in, in sometimes a guy doesn't need much. Sometimes they can evolve. Sometimes they just need, to, you know, someone to sort of show them the way. And uh, or just uh, you know very slight adjustments. It can it can vary year to year, uh, you know even month to month. Uh, there's just no telling. Uh, you know Michael King, great Yankees reliever. He was taught his uh, sweeping curveball slider from Corey Kluber last summer. Uh, now he's the best reliever in the American League. Uh, wow. <laughs> so that's really something. You just, yeah, you just never know what chance introductions what sort of uh, things might uh, might help a guy and uh, right now the Yankees have a lot of stories like that and uh, it's pretty interesting to watch let, let me get to this because Aaron Judge made the decision I think we t- did talk about it a couple of weeks ago I, I just thought it was really bold because I think the history of really bigger players you know guys over 6'5 or 6'6 they tend to have lower leg injury deals and it's not unusual that a guy would have start to create an injury history at a certain age. Some people thought he was nuts not to take the $214 million. I mean, that's lifetime financial security, and instead the guy lays a big bet on himself. It's crazy. Yeah, and I think, I think he re- he's a guy who recognizes his, his market value. And uh, it's really it's interesting. I, I think this negotiation is... Yeah, it might be a little over dramatic to call it this, but it truly is kind of a game of chicken because uh, the Yankees need Judge. You know, they've got uh, you know a, a you know billion dollar uh, TV network to try to provide good programming for sure. uh, you know a state that needs superstars, uh, a fifty thousand seat stadium that that needs attractions. You know, beyond just going to see Jordan Montgomery pitch or whatever, yeah, no <laughs> uh, and then Judge. You know, Judge, great player. 
amazing player, real difference maker. Uh, you know, that said, uh, is he, you know, is he as marketable? Is he as, uh, is he Aaron Judge in all capital letters if he's Aaron Judge, Texas Ranger, or Aaron Judge, San Francisco Giant next year? You know, who knows? I mean, I think, uh, I think he's the biggest and most lucrative version of himself if he is Aaron Judge, New York Yankees. So, be interesting to see uh, how the sides might proceed. You know, may, maybe they'll open things up a bit, and you know, maybe, you know, maybe the uh, the Yankees will see fit to dangle something with a three in front of it. Uh, and maybe not. You know, it, it's it's tricky because some big time guys got really big deals in the offseason. Sure. Corey Seager got three hundred twenty five million dollars. Uh, Trevor Story got one hundred and forty million dollars. You know, I mean, it's. Uh, it can be a very arbitrary process. Granted, this year there won't be a lockout to worry about, so that's helpful. But the thing <laughs> you is, know, Aaron Judge is not a kid. We should mention that. I mean, this is a guy's 30s. So, I mean, it's that's a little unusual just when we're talking super long-term contracts. It is. Uh, but another thing that's kind of unusual is uh, just w- what he's doing within this offensive environment. I mean, it's not just the home runs. And it's not just uh, you know the the batting average and and the, the clutch, the clutch hits and everything else. I mean he's doing it at a time when uh, you know when offense is really down around the major leagues when it's really tough to been tougher to hit home runs. Now things are starting to open up a bit. Uh, who knows why? Maybe it's just the weather. Maybe they switch the ball again. You know who knows? Insert your favorite conspiracy theory. But you know consider this for a minute. Uh, Aaron Judge has an OPS of you know, 1059, which is great. You know, that's like a, you know, that's a Mike Trout year, <laughs> which Crazy. is great for yeah. the first, first couple months of the season. His adjusted OPS is 201, which is just crazy. You know, it's, uh, for those who don't know, adjusted OPS is the league average, and 100 is always league average, uh, which, uh, which just means it, it lets you know how you're doing relative to the rest of the league. So he's doing 101% better than – the rest of the league <laughs> in really terms of on base yeah. plus plug-in. So, and you know, we're, we're getting late now. It's not, it's not April anymore. It's not May anymore. You know, who knows where he'll end up, but you know, we're, we're getting closer now to the halfway point than we are the quarter mark. So this is kind of who he is this year. And uh, you know, it, it, we'll, we'll see what, uh, what that brings him, uh, you know, after, you know, just three more, you know, three more months of this, basically. Let me get a quick thought from you. I know people who consider it their own personal tragedy that we may get a whole career played by the Angels for Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, and with the exception of one sweep early in his career, only only Trout's been there, and I, I, they look like they were going to be pretty good this year, then they lose 10 in a row, and I'm thinking... I don't know if that's ever happening. This may be one of those sort of baseball, if it's too strong to call it tragedy, then we'll call it something else. An unfortunate circumstance. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's not something you can force. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's really tough to, to workshop a, uh, a playoff winner and to, like, root hard for a guy. You know, I mean, it's uh, so much has to go right for a team to get in. I don't get too wrapped up in that with especially the expanded playoffs now. I mean they're uh-huh. you know, they're not they're not gonna catch the Astros probably, which we kinda knew. Uh you can probably uh, sew up a couple of wild card berths for the uh the Rays and the Blue Jays uh, if they just continue to play well. But that that definitely leaves you know, leaves a lane open 
you know, for the Angels at some point to, you know, to get on in there. I mean, if not this year, then next year. You know, it's uh, it kind of seems like the kind of thing that organizationally they've been so determined to try to correct that, uh, you know, sometimes you got to, like, try try easier, as they say. You know, say they've... They've exhausted every every everything, right. but like you know, from a fan and and a, and a player and, and a team perspective, you know, it, we're, we're worried about a guy who's just barely on the wrong side of thirty and his legacy. I mean, you know, he's you know, it may not happen for him till he's thirty-five, and that's fine. You know, <laughs> it's right. a, I gotcha. it, it, it is a, it's a bit insane that it hasn't happened since twenty fourteen. But uh, you know, again, you know. The long game is long, you know, and I think that's the that's the best best thing for for people to sort of uh, try to settle on when it comes to Mike Trout. Gabe, always enjoy talking with you. Thanks so much for the time today. You got it, Bobby. We'll do it again soon. Sounds great, Gabe Lax from USA Today. I want to just mention that oh, it was probably six seven years ago now. I just was my energy was flagging something awful. And so somebody suggested, why don't you go talk to those guys who are on your show? Like Dr. Charles Arakaki. They're always talking about, you know, they can fix things, energy deficits, all this stuff. And I was like, you know, I really ought to do that. So I did. I went down and I was with him for probably a half an hour. I had a ton of questions. I wanted to know what is this, this TRT, this testosterone replacement therapy? What's it about? What's it going to do? Are there going to be any negative effects? I mean, I was a half hour of straight answering questions, and I so appreciated how direct he was. There was it wasn't doctor speak. He just came right to you with the information. Well, I started very shortly after that, and I have to tell you, the results I got were far beyond my expectations. No one said anything about losing weight, but I did lose a lot of weight. I started off... When I did that, about, it took me about four and a half years. I went from from uh, 230 pounds to 182. And that was without anything extraordinary. I had a little more time to work out, and I felt a little more inclined to do it. That was all good. But I wasn't going on madcap diets. That's just actually what happened. And I felt so much. I had to buy all new stuff. It was great, though. I didn't mind a bit. And I want to encourage you to take a chance to go see Dr. Charles Arakaki. You can do it in person, or he'll do it virtually. Either way is fine. He's on the edge of Kahala Mall. Dr. Charles Arakaki at Ohana Men's Clinic in Kahala. Find out more at drcharlesarakaki.com. That's drcharlesarakaki.com. Follow us on Twitter at Bobby Curran Show. This is ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app. Welcome back on this Monday edition of the program. Interesting conversation. I thought with Gabe Lax from USA Today, it was all baseball all the time and we were talking about a couple of things, and it's funny because I was wondering if he was going to say, well, there's not really that anti-Mets-Yankees bias. He freely admits it. There is. Yes, of course there is. Well, the Yankees have been so good for so long that I think a lot of people, in fact, there were Mets fans that just felt differently about it. They felt like 
the poor Mets. They just get squished by these big guys. Well, now there's two big guys. That's how it is. We've got to take a quick timeout. We'll be right back with plenty more right here on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu. Now, Bobby Curran on ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app. Welcome back on this Monday edition of the program. We're having to wait extra days now for NBA games. I, I can't stand it. I don't, you know, people say, well, no, it's good because, you know, it's, it's three games, now it's every third day. I was like, I don't like that. That breaks up the rhythm of this thing. It's not, it was okay. You can have every third day if you have more teams left. But now once you're down to two teams, that's irritating, I think. I just feel like, look, you know, take a lesson. The NFL, they only have games once a week, but they have plenty, plenty of material the rest of the time. And that's something I don't think so other sports have done as good a job on as the, uh, as the NFL's done. I, I don't think the NBA nearly capitalizes the way they probably could on this stuff, especially when you get, I mean, superstar quality guys like you have this year. And I felt like even in the Final Four, sort of, when it was Doncic and John ja Morant and just, you know, Tatum. And, I mean, there's so many good players, Giannis. I just thought they had an incredible opportunity to do exactly what the NBA has always wanted to do, which is exploit their star power. That's crazy. 296-1420. You know, you have something you want to talk about. Please go ahead and do it. I don't mind at all the discussion on this part about whether or not it's too long in between. I don't know. Does that – no one else – I haven't heard a single other soul mention that. But I just don't like doing this thing like, okay, so they play Sunday, no Monday, no Tuesday, and now we're going to play Wednesday. It's like the rhythm is gone. I, I just feel like you get you, you get yourself going, just like a just like a player does. I think fans do too. You get where you're really looking forward to it, and then suddenly there's an extra day. Just doesn't seem right. Go ahead if you have if you have something you want to talk about here. Okay, here it is. I, I just think this is beyond doubt, and I don't know where you are, Tanner, on this, but I'm just going to say it because I've said before I, I'm not obsessed with MVPs. I just think those things are silly items to get your knickers in a twist about. Some of it's out of your control. You can put up big numbers. It doesn't mean you're going to get there. Look at Joel Embiid. He's put up unbelievable numbers, scary numbers, and he's still on the outside looking in. So one of these questions has been, well, can Steph Curry win this? As, as Perkins said, can he fix his legacy? Can he fix it? As if to say that Steph Curry hasn't had much of a career without a finals MVP. I, I just think that is nonsense. But I also, looking around at the game so far, it's only been two of them. I just don't see, like, I just don't believe either Jalen Brown, and you might feel differently, or Tatum. I don't think either one of those guys, they have little, they have holes in their game still that you don't see with Steph Curry. Steph Curry is just 
Even though Steph Curry occasionally throws the ball away, I'll be like, what are you doing with that? Or he'll take a shot that wasn't open and he gets, you know, he gets it put in his face. But I'm like, those are relatively small complaints compared to what he accomplishes and what most other guys try and achieve. Well, I think like what all superstars should be trying to do is what Steph Curry did. He had weaknesses, whether it be his body, whether it be his defense, and he's worked on them. I think Mark Jackson had mentioned, because he's on the broadcast for ESPN. Yeah. And he, of course, famously coached up the Warriors up until right before the finals where Steve Kerr took over for him. Steph Curry, at the end of Mark Jackson's time with the Golden State Warriors, is miles and miles and miles away from what that player used to be. Because at that time, Steph Curry, just post him up. Steph Curry, just beat him up a little bit. Because then he'll get tired because he's not used to it. Have you seen his shoulders? On who? Steph, Steph Curry? Curry? He is. He is built now. The <laughs> He has those like super high-quality like ankle braces, sure. That helps a lot with his bad ankles. But he is physically well, he's made himself stronger. an amazing no about that. physique. And also, his big weakness for a long time was defense. If it was Steph Curry you are talking about, you'd be like, oh, but he's a defensive liability. Or then it became, oh, well, he's serviceable on defense. Now, if you look at especially last game, he looked like he was a two-way player at some time. Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr said that. He said, he goes... You know, everybody's going to talk about his offense, but that defensive intensity that Steph, he said he was not capable of that years ago. That tells you he's done the work. And so right now, I think this is the best iteration of Stephen Curry. Sure, he's not he's not having career numbers at the three-point line. He's not having the best, you know, like shooting percentage of his career. But right now, all around, he is the best all-around player Steph Curry can possibly be. And on the point of you were mentioning Kendrick Perkins and, you know, quote-unquote, fixing his legacy, Fix your I legacy, will say geez. to the common eye, to the casual fan, a lot of people will say, well, if he's so good, then how come he hasn't shown up? This is not me saying it. This is the quote-unquote right, casual you. fan. Gotcha. When Because... When you look at his record, even though he has all these finals wins, sure, he doesn't have any finals MVPs. Because the first thing you think is, well, then why did Andre Iguodala win it? And I think a lot of people also wonder that exact same thing because people talk about, oh, because Andre Iguodala locked down LeBron James. Oh, yes, you know, LeBron James that year, who averaged like 37, 12, and like 10. That should have gone to Steph Curry. But that was just because LeBron James declined the finals MVP. So then you go to Kevin so Durant. Wait a second. He was offered it? He was offered it because I will agree in that series, he was the best player. when he Because it was just him by himself. No Kevin Love. Has that ever happened no Kyrie before? Irving. Has Jerry West. He turned it down. Jerry West was the one who, who got it after losing. So, he so LeBron would have been the second one behind Jerry West. Allegedly, that's what I hear. He turned it down. That's the only thing that I can think of why... Steph Curry didn't get it initially. And then you look at his other two finals wins. Where, okay, Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant, because Steph Curry made the decision to, 
to give the win, ball to, to Kevin Durant. the damn games. And in all of these finals runs, <laughs> yeah. people will say, well, he hasn't shown up. He doesn't have a finals MVP. Bro is, like, getting, like, 27 a game in the finals. I don't know the exact number, but if you look at every single game he's played in the finals, there is no notion to Stephen Curry not showing up. No. So, if no, it's a they win thing. this... It's a ridiculous so, thing that's often promoted right. by so, the great unwashed that doesn't have a real clue. And that's, that's what, what I'm saying. Is. So, him winning this, he'll finally get that notion of, well, he has the finals <clears> MVP. So, you agree with this, which is what I was heading to in a long, roundabout way. I think the performances we've seen only through two games, he's very likely to get it. There, I win. don't know any other player that could possibly, that could get, possibly it. get it. There you go. Because Jason Tatum did show up in game two in a losing effort. Jalen Brown showed up in the winning effort. But, like, it's just like if the Boston Celtics win it, it'll have to be one of those two stepping up for these last five games that yeah. they would have – or last three games that they would have to win. So – I would leave it this way. If if the Warriors win, Curry gets it. Period. Yeah, period. Unless, like, Jordan Poole ends the game in, like, three straight 40-point games or some crazy notion like that. Even then, I don't think he gets it, though. Because probably if he's getting 40, Steph's getting, like, 39, 38. Right. And plus, he'll have a ton of assists. It just, I just think it's going to be Steph's to lose if. But I think, as we said, it's going to require the Golden State Warriors to win. But I don't think it's much to say that the finals MVP means nothing. I think it's a great step up for the star that needs that acceleration to superstardom. I don't think a lot of people were, because the casual fan did not say Giannis Antetokounmpo is the greatest NBA player in the league right now until after that finals run last year where he wins the finals MVP. He's in everyone's brain, and everyone's like, well, now I think it's I think everyone agrees that if he's not top three, he's the best. Kawhi Leonard, he didn't get a lot of attention out of other than outside of San Antonio until that final series where he basically locked down LeBron James. See, that's a real lockdown LeBron James performance when you look at Kawhi Leonard and the San Antonio Spurs. Right. And since then, Kawhi Leonard's considered to be one of the best players in the NBA when he plays. If he's not dealing with another injury, one of the best two ways. Yeah, I think. one of Sorry. the best two ways, probably of all time, if mm-hmm. he only played more in his career. So there are guys that it doesn't really mean much. Like maybe Kevin Durant's Finals MVPs don't really well, mean much. Well, I, I probably should put it another way. I should say they're not that important to me. I, I just it's not what I gauge a basketball player by. So I would say I'm not going to think any less of Steph Curry if they give somebody else the MVP. It's not going to matter to me. There'll be an asterisk on that MVP. I think he's an unbelievable player and such a product of his own incredible commitment and hard work. That's when you see him when you watch Steph Curry. That whole thing with the balls on a string, that's not like, oh, yeah, he just has this natural talent. That's not how that works. Really kind of funny, actually. Um, the um, I'm starting to one of my favorite NBA guys now who doesn't play at all is Boban Marjanovic. I, I am the commercial. Have you seen the commercial with the women? I, it's the insurance commercial, you know, for Geico, or whatever. And then, the, you know, there's one Trey Young can't read something, so there's a WNBA gal who just re- oh I got your mustard, you know, whatever Trey. And then suddenly, like he's got. 
then it's Boban because she can't read something. He goes, you need anything else? He goes, I can reach it. It's hilarious. It's like the guy is so not of this country, but he sort of is all of us. Boban Marjanovic is one of the best feel-good stories for an NBA career. He's not a... He's not a. He doesn't play a lot. I I followed him since he started in San Antonio. Not started in San Antonio when his career started in San Antonio. Right. But he's you know been to a bunch of places. I think he is one of the best. One of the best bench guys in the NBA because he is such a positive, just reinforcement kind of guy. He's super playful. He's friends with anyone who you meet. I remember, I think this was last year or two years ago or something like that. He got like a flagrant two or a technical foul, and everyone was like, he didn't mean to do it. That's Boban Marjanovic. He wouldn't hurt a butterfly. That's so funny. And I remember, because yeah. like the, gay, the day after, he sent like a special like blanket to the guy who he had done like the flagrant two. On against and it was like from his own company, this like blanket company that he owns, and he's it's like, great. I just want to. It's just like I just want to apologize if you feel like there was any ill intent there, and here's a gift for that. I'm so sorry. That's and so funny. I think it was when he was on the Clippers with Tobias Harris, and there was that whole Bobby and Toby. They had this whole series going on, and they were like best friends. If you have any time, like free time, just look up the story. Of Boban Marjanovic. He is an absolute just angel he's also, to the he's NBA. He's become a favorite to me just watching him on the stuff he does. Like, it's the way he goes into games, on the rare times he goes in. But it's also the commercials. are. He is such a natural, I guess, salesperson or hail fellow well met. He's a good actor. He was in John and Wick And he's a good well. guy. I mean, I think what's not to like. So this is interesting. We're down to this. We are in a total agreement that it'd be – I don't know if it's possible for a player in this day and age to get the MVP if his team doesn't win it. I, I, I'm trying to imagine what that would look like. It would look like LeBron James on his first finals run against the Golden State Warriors. He'd have to have 40 points a game, thereabouts. Like a 37-point triple-double average when you are playing without your two biggest stars. Right. When other than you, the next impact player is Matthew Dellavedova. Wow. If Matthew Dellavedova is your number two guy, that's when you're thinking, well, maybe LeBron James is doing something good. Maybe wow. he's doing just a little bit good if he's averaging Della 37 Della, points. Della Vidova is one of my favorite guys now. I'm he was good for Cleveland. It's well, just when you know, he, he's a when very he, strong connection with Iran. True. He coached him, recruited him, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's where that stems from. And, and LeBron James said he's one of his favorite players ever. Because, you know, he's a – the one thing about Matthew Della he is a dive-on-the-floor maniac. I mean, he's – there's nothing that guy won't do to help his team win. And I think LeBron has an appreciation for that. I think some people look at him like Kyrie Irving would just look at that like, what is wrong with you? Really, this is not that kind of a thing. You don't need to go be shattering bones in order to pick up a loose ball. Go ahead if you have something. 296-1420. It is 16 minutes past the hour, so we'll take this time out. Be right back on ESPN. Honolulu. 
The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by PVT Land Company, supporting academics, athletics, and the community on the YNI Coast. Uh, past the hour. Glad you're with us. We're going to be introducing you very shortly to one of the newest coaches at the University of Hawaii. We'll have some fun with that in, uh, in just a couple of minutes. And I wanted to go over this thing because I don't know that it means more in some sports than others. An MVP, for example, seems to me that baseball, because it's based on a 182-game schedule, I might tend to say or I'm sorry, it's not 180, what is it, 160 something? <clears throat> 162 games? Uh, basketball's 82 games. Football's 17. So does that mean less? I don't know. I, I don't know if it does in the to the common man. I'm not sure that he regards it as some lesser achievement. But I think you could make a case that in baseball, when it's 162 games, that maybe it means a little more. Just you have an awful lot of samples. Simple as that. Go ahead if you have something. 296-1420. Uh, I'm, I'm again, as I'm watching this, they have a little thing on the Miami Dolphins on. It's the quarterback room sort of out on the field. I mean, it's Bridgewater and Tua Tango by Lua. And, and they're talking about who has more pressure on them. Am I, I am missing, I truly am missing something. Okay, Tua Tungvalu is the starting quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. End of story in terms of pressure. That's the player that has the most pressure. Period. I mean, I, you know, you want to know which player in that roster has the most pressure? The answer is very simple. It's Tua. That's like saying who's got more pressure on them. I can't even remember. I'm struggling to remember. Who's the Giants' backup? Terod Taylor. Oh, Terod Taylor backs up Daniel. That's like saying, who's, the, who's got more pressure on them? Daniel Jones or Terod Taylor? Okay, you can go nuts on that all you like. I think the answer in some cases is clear. The guy, it's like Zach Wilson or Trevor Lawrence is never going to have pressure is never going to have more pressure on, there's never been more pressure on the backup than there is on them. That's how it is. We got Pierre on the line. What's up, Pierre? Good morning, Bobby. The, the problem with Steph is the narrative out there on Steph is that he's not clutch. That's the narrative. When, when KD, when they needed a bucket, they ran the play for KD. They told everybody else, get out the way. And they ran the play for KD. They didn't even let Steph set it up. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know how anybody can watch Steph Curry and say he's not clutch. He, he's not. He's not. Look how long it took him to get to that record. They said, oh, he's going to get it in one day. I'm like, really? Really? What record like are you talking days. about in one day? To get to, to, get, to, the, uh, to, get to that record of uh, three-pointers. Okay, but that, a, you, you have to realize. It took him forever. 
Pierre, the guy has done more. But get this. Okay, uh, they talk about guys who are catch-and-shoot guys and other guys off the dribble. Okay, nobody in NBA history has more than 700 of each, except for Steph Curry, who has over 1,100 of each. I I just think that's a tough argument for me to say the guy's not clutch. Every time... They need that huge basket that just tells everybody else go home. It's him. It's him. The other day, the other day to stop that run, to stop that run. Okay. What happened? What happened when they needed him to stop that run the other day? Listen, I'm not saying he's not human, but I mean four points, four points, six points might have switched that around. He's an awfully, he's an awfully good player, and that's where I'm going. I don't think. He I don't is. think it's there's been an other guys. Other guys been better MVPs in those series, like Durant or yeah, or yeah, Andre Iguodala. Well, that's okay. Crazy. Thank you but very much. Thank you very much. Thirty points. I mean, come on, stop playing. You gotta be. I mean, you you watch stop enough. Ba- you watch enough basketball to recognize. That Steph Curry is one of the top ten players in the NBA today, without any question without about it. Without a doubt. But we talking about clutch. When we need a bucket, but. can you give it to us? Now, now we know we know when you look at the percentages. Even Jordan, the percentages are low, 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 low. But people still talk about it. Well, that's now, fine. How many times I, you know, I let them. I'm happy to let them go on that. I'm happy but, to let but, all but, of you guys but, that don't like Steph Curry or don't think he's clutch. No, no. no. You don't I think like he's it. clutch? When they, needed a bucket, when they need a bucket, who did they run plays for? Well, they who do they run plays for now? Well, but the ball is handled by Clay. Not Clay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, by Steph. But the, everything runs through Steph. So Steph decides who's going to get that shot, basically. Unless they let Draymond, Draymond run the ball. Well, he, he he'll also find Steph. He he'll also find Steph. And I just think all those guys, you ask any guy in that Warrior team, you know, they want Steph to have the ball. Yes. Why not? I'd want him to have it too. Guy's magic. Anyway. Yes. But, but when KD was on the team, who got the last shot? Well, he, that's, that was plus. you got to remember something. KD needs that. Steph doesn't. He needs it. He needs it. Even that wasn't enough to keep him there. They gave him all the freaking shots. They let him have everything his way, and he still left. Well, because Draymond poked the bear. You cannot poke the bear. Well, I mean, Draymond Draymond is the bear. Hey, hey, Draymond better be glad that there wasn't me. Because I would have had them chip. Draymond out of town, and I would have stayed. Yeah, well, I didn't think that was going to happen because he the, he didn't want to share. He wanted it to be his team, and it was never well, going to be his team as long as Steph, Steph, Car- Steph Curry lived there. You correct. You are correct. And if I'm one of the top players of all time, then then I need my niche. Okay. That's Steph Town. That was Steph Town. I just so wouldn't have worried. About, I think like Kobe and Shaq shouldn't have worried about that. They would have won way more championships. Get over that crap. Get Bobby, over that nonsense. 
Kyrie Bobby. Irving has it too. It's nonsense. When you have when you have when you have all that you want in life, then you start nitpicking with life. I don't know, Pierre. Tell me, call me if that's ever a problem for you, because it certainly isn't for me. <laughs> oh, Listen, oh, brother. You be the first one I call. I got it. The first one I call. Say, okay. Bobby. I got, I got everything. Now I'm nitpicking. I gotta run, brother. Thank you for the call. Twenty-eight minutes past the hour. Uh, if you have something, you know what? Let's do this because we gotta have our next guest on. So we're gonna do that. Yeah, we're gonna have Michael Stevens on in just a second, and he's a new, the newest coach at the University of Hawaii, and we're gonna talk with him because he took over a really good program, and now he was at Boston College, and now he's here. That's gotta be a transition. Let's take a quick time out. Be right back on ESPN Honolulu. You're listening to the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Text or call the show at 296-1420. I'm back on this Monday edition of the program. I want to welcome the newest coach in the University of Hawaii coaching family. He is the new swimming and diving coach. Came from Boston College. Michael Stevens is his name. Michael, how are you? Hey, Bobby, how are you? Thanks for having me. Well, I got to tell you something. I Reading the bio, you sound a little bit like a middle, like a, uh, some kind of magic worker because every single thing you touch seems to get better practically in one year. That's amazing. Well, thank you. I think that's, uh, that's very kind. Um, I, I had uh, a great opportunity to work with some, some really awesome student-athletes at, at BC, and uh, it's been fun to help them develop in and out of the water and uh, really proud of what that, that team was able to do and really excited for this new opportunity. Now, you are in a place where there are, as you know by now, lots of international students. They've had some success here in the swimming and diving programs. Where would you, how would you compare that? to sort of the vibe in the program at BC? Yeah, it's, it's a little different for sure. Um, I think, uh, you know, Hawaii has done a really, really good job of drawing uh, student-athletes from all over um, and a really strong international pre presence, like you said. Um, and I think at BC, uh, we've done a really good job uh, diversely recruiting uh Domestically, I mean, we had uh, close to, uh, I think, 24 different states represented on our current roster. Um, but we have, you know, over the last couple of years, a few more international athletes. Uh, we were bringing in a, a woman from uh, Dubai uh, next year. Um, and we have a, a, a graduating senior who uh, qualified for the uh, Canadian Olympic trials here this past season. And then I had the opportunity uh, to coach an athlete working with kind of the Barbados national team over the last two years. So, Definitely have um, some experience with it, but but excited to, for the opportunity to meet you know more student athletes from 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 different areas of the world and, and really bring together uh, them all together for to, to build a great team. I guess these are the things coaches look at, and I would have no idea of this in terms of budgets. I mean, what you have to deal with as in college coaching is this going to be a step up on budget, lateral or a step back? Um. I think there will, will definitely be some some additional resources. I mean, I think, you know, every place has, you know, challenges and, and opportunities, and I think, you know, Hawaii is no different, but I but I do, you know, going through the process, it does seem like um, the opportunities are really, really good, and I, you know, 
um, for a lot of reasons, not just resources, but I, I really believe that there's a ton of potential in the program, and I think that's one of the things, um, among a lot of others, that really kind of drew me in. Well, there's one thing that I don't think you're going to have to make a big adjustment on, and that's the weather, Michael. Because if, <laughs> if someone has a problem with the weather here, there's not going to be weather anywhere that you like. So this is, uh, this is fabulous. Let me get to your thought. You were, was your history as a breaststroker, am I correct? That is correct, yeah. So just the little things I'm gleaning, do, do, you, do you teach every stroke? How does that work in swimming? Because I always think it's funny. They say, oh, this guy's the swimming and diving coach. I'm like, hang on a second. Those are pretty different disciplines, swimming and diving. So do you, most places, don't you whack that up and put an assistant in charge of diving? Yes, definitely. So, um, yeah, I think you're, you're correct. I mean, swimming and diving are pretty different, right? So, um, you know, every, I mean, I would think every Division One program uh, will have, like, kind of a separate diving coach that kind of runs point on that. And just because they are so different and, you know, my background uh, is in swimming, um, you know, I definitely have an understanding of the sport and understand the importance of it and, you know, making sure that kind of the, that diving group, you know, and that swimming group fit well together to make one really close-knit team. Um, but I, I think from a swimming perspective, you know, it's similar though. I mean, it's, there are different strokes in event groups, um, and then every athlete's a little bit different, right? So from a swimming perspective, you really have to, uh, know your athletes and kind of know and, and figure out what works best for each one and, you know, design different training programs, uh, around kind of all those different, uh, you know, needs of each athlete and each kind of stroke and event group. So, um, yeah, diving kind of will have its own kind of point person, and then I think from within the swimming staff, you know, I think we're uh, we'll kind of break up so that we each kind of are working with different groups, and um, hopefully at some point getting to work with all of our athletes uh, as well. I'm asking a lot of remedial questions. I'm aware here, but do you have do you generally divide things up by strokes or by distance? Is there sprints and longer stuff, or do you more divide it up by strokes? I think you can do both, um, and, and, and there's no uh, necessarily one size fits all or one, you know, you'll look at some of the best programs across the country, and they're all doing things slightly different. Um, you know, I like to get pretty event-specific, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, some days that may mean a little bit more by stroke. Some days it might be breaking up into sprint, mid-distance, or distance. Um, but I really like to have, like, you know, every workout as much as we can to kind of have an event focus. So... You know, maybe, you know, on a Monday afternoon, we're going to go uh, a 50 free group, a 2 IM group, a 500 free group. And maybe on a, you know, a, when, a, a Thursday, we'll go, you know, 100 of stroke, 200 free, 400 IM group or something like that. Um, I, that's kind of what I've, you know, most recently found to work really well. But, but, but kind of like you said, I think you can go – do some stuff where you're, you're kind of getting all your breaststrokers together or all your flyers together. I think you can do things where you're breaking up all your sprinters, all your middle-distance athletes, um, and, and kind of whatever. And, and some of that kind of comes down to, you know, figuring out the strengths of the staff and making sure that we can uh, kind of come together to, to make sure we give every athlete what they need and then also, you know, learning more about the athletes and kind of figuring out the plan that works best to kind of get the most out of them, right? And, and so every, every group of athletes is different. And so I think we've really got to listen here early on and, and, and talk to our athletes and, and hear what's worked and what hasn't worked. And 
um, kind of design a plan around that, uh, like from a training standpoint. We're talking with Michael Stevens, who's just been named the head uh, swimming and diving coach at the University of Hawaii. He is uh, from Boston College, where they've had some um, pretty serious success. And I would have to say that's not a school that necessarily has a swimming reputation. So I would have said you guys had to put a lot of work in to get where you got. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I, I think, uh, yeah, we've, we've had to build, you know what I mean? And I think, uh, you know, you know I've, I've been at BC for nine years and the last five as head coach. And I think these last five, you know, we really we really felt like we had to change a lot and, and, and create, you know, a new culture and a foundation and, you know, change the way we did a lot of different things to help kind of to grow this into what it is right now. And, you know, I'm really proud of that progression, you know, and I'm really proud of the athletes that have been a part of that and bought into it and, um yeah, there are definitely challenges. There are going to be challenges everywhere, and I think that that makes the, you know, the success a little bit more meaningful when you when you go through some hard stuff to get there. We're talking with Michael Stevens, new swimming and diving coach. Well, let me ask you this: What's the goal for this program? I mean, are you guys thinking, you know, let's chase a national title or a conference uh, deal? What, what what's your thought? Yeah, I think that's a that's a great question. I think, uh, you know. Right now, I'm still just learning a lot, right? And I'm trying to, you know, get to know the team. You know, this week is all about uh, getting, starting to have some conversations with the staff and starting to do phone calls with all the, like, the individual athletes to get to know them better. And I think that's kind of my consuming me at this point. Um, but, you know, I really do think there's immense potential, right? And I think that's a big part of the reason, you know, why this, this was such an attractive position for me is because I'm excited about, you know, building on the success that this program has, and there's a lot of success historically, um, and trying to really grow it into something uh, that all of us, staff, team members, can be really, really proud of um, in a community that, you know, has so much history in, in swimming and water sports. And, um, you know, I, I think I don't want to make any, you know, proclamations, but I, yeah, I think the team has a lot of potential, you know, to every year compete to win the conference championship, and, they, and they've done that. They've done that, you know, they've had a lot of success in the last, you know, five or six years on, in that front, and um, on a national level, like, I don't, I don't want to put a ceiling on how, on how high it can go, because I think, you know, I think there, there really is a lot of opportunity here to really grow this, but um, I think first and foremost, it's, it's all about continuous improvement. You know, I think we want to, we want to have a team where. You know, every single day, every week, month, year, you know, we're, we're better than we were before. And I think, uh, you know, again, that kind of starts first and foremost, like I mentioned, with, you know, making sure that we're building trust. And, you know, I'm getting to know the athletes, they're getting to know me. And then, you know, from there, I think we can start to uh, kind of build a vision together and, 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 and work hard to achieve some of these really big goals. And, um, you know, and that doesn't just that doesn't just count as the swimming stuff, right? I think the you know, we want we want each of these these student athletes to, to do really well academically. We want to develop as people, um, and so you know, all of those are are kind of the, the things that we're thinking about. And obviously, right now it's it's early, so we're still trying to you know map it all out. But but it's an exciting road, I think, that we have ahead. Well, this is a lot of fun stuff because you're going to be making a huge adjustment. Have you ever lived on the west part of the western part of the United States before? I haven't. Um, I uh, I've spent a decent amount of time on the West Coast, um, and I've always loved the West Coast. But I and I always hoped that I could get out there at some point. But most of my life has been on the East Coast, between you know Maryland and DC and in Boston. So um, it'll definitely be an adjustment. But it's 
it's one that I'm excited about. Um, I know there's going to be some, you know, uh, some challenges with that for sure, but um, I'm coming into it with, with eyes wide open. Well, you should be excited about it. It's going to be an adventure for sure. Uh, Michael Stevens, new swimming and diving coach. Well, welcome aboard, and I uh, hope to meet you in person soon. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I, I really enjoyed it. Michael Stevens, uh, remember the name, because he's had some wild success. He's a young guy. I, we're thinking, what, 30, 31, something like that? I mean, he's, he's really young, but he's got some accomplishments already. It's about 15 minutes in front of 9 o'clock. If you have a question or a comment, go ahead, 296 for I was, uh, I was saying, I hope we get a text because I want to be on our new Zephyr Insurance text line. And we just wouldn't figure this is the day we didn't get a text. Go ahead if you have something. And if you want to text us, I'll be much obliged. We'll be right back after this on ESPN on a little. Follow us on Twitter at Bobby Curran Show. This is ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii. Welcome back on this Monday edition of the program. I'm kind of looking because we're getting a bunch of this now. When you talk NFL, it's all expectations for teams and especially for quarterbacks. So what I find interesting is Mac Jones, for example, who played with Tua in college, as he actually has completed... 68% of his passes as opposed to 66 and a half for Tua. He doesn't get rid of the ball as quickly as Tua does. Tua is 2.51 seconds. So, I mean, these are some of the things that the analytics guys like to look at. I suppose at the end of the day, what really most fans want to know is, did you win? Do we, how many wins do we have? That would be good. But I don't think – I just have always found this odd that we are t we take quarterbacks and then we make these decisions on how good they are without a general comparison with their peer group. I don't get that. Well, to be fair, in his rookie year, he did go to the playoffs. And we're comparing them – if we're going to compare them to NFL careers, I would say they're pretty similar in repertoire and how they've shown off. I don't really care about, you know, Tua's having a winning record. In the last two years, he hasn't made the playoffs, and we can say as much as we want about Bill Belichick. Mac Jones had his highs, and Mac Jones had his lows. His lows were the two losses to Miami, probably, and that one game against Buffalo where he threw the ball three times. But that's what you get when you get Bill Belichick as your head coach. And I think for Mac Jones, you don't have to worry about comparing him to Tua. I think that that's out the window. He's his own quarterback. The one thing he has to worry about is his offensive coordinator because there are reports that right now they're leaning towards Matt Patricia to be the offensive play caller in aye, New England. And I don't know if that says a lot more about – I don't know how much it says about Matt Patricia – or how much it more says about Joe Judge, the other guy who was considered to be the offensive play caller. Because I think that just says a lot about Joe Judge. But with the New England Patriots, they just have that system, the Patriot way. And 
the one year without Mac or Tom, it was the Cam Newton year, and it didn't go very well. So maybe with year one going to the playoffs, the expectations are high for New England Patriots fans, and especially for Mac Jones. So going into year two, your free agents have a year of chemistry, and who knows, maybe this offensive system built by Bill Belichick is going to work out as they run all five of their running backs every single game and throw it to all, like, ten of their receivers as much as they possibly can. I don't know what the offensive system is going to be, but for Mac Jones, that's going to be his main worry. And right now, he shouldn't be worrying about what's going on in Miami until he has to go there or they come to him. Well, I kind of think of it this way. It's a little bit different for fans of an NFL team than it is for for former Crimson Tide fans that take a look at the quarterbacks that were all there wearing a uniform together, Jalen Hurts, Tua, and Mac Jones, I think it would be very easy if you're a Crimson Tide fan to be lending those guys to comparisons. I, that would make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I if you're comparing them happen. for their Alabama careers, but now they all have, all three of them have three brand-new careers as the Eagles quarterback, the Patriots quarterback, and the Dolphins quarterback. And of the three... They all perform right around the same, which is middling to above average sometimes. Okay, I, that's fair enough, I think, right now. I, I think that and when you haven't changed it yet or have the opportunity to, because we don't know too many quarterbacks that have phenomenal success in their first couple of years, that'd be, that'd be less usual than usual. So we'll see how all of these guys do. I actually think that at the end of this season, all three of those guys will be starting quarterbacks at their respective teams. I could be crazy, but I think Jalen Hurts shows enough. I think Tua certainly shows enough, and Mac Jones has proven that he can actually function fairly mistake-free, which I think when you work for Belichick, nothing probably higher priority than that. It's 54 minutes past. I want to thank those who came on with us uh, today, enjoyed talking with the uh, Gay Blacks and then Michael Stevens, the new swimming and diving coach at the University of Hawaii. Um, we are going to have some interesting guests tomorrow. You know who will be going nuts tomorrow? It's, uh, yes, Damon Bruce, because he is coming from 95 points. I'm sure he was out of his mind after... They lost that first game after going 9-0 at home. But my guess is he came off the ledge yesterday a little bit. I would think he came off the ledge yesterday. Go ahead uh, if you have some. We got a minute or two here. I think I got about a minute, so you could, if you want to relay a final thought or if you want to come to us on our Zephyr Insurance text line, that would be great too. Go ahead and, uh, and fire it. We, uh, you know, this is going to be slow because we know this, that we don't have a basketball game tomorrow. It was every other day, and now we're just taking multiple days off. Who do you think that favors, Ted? Do you think it favors one team or the other? That's definitely going to help out the Boston Celtics. I mean, you mentioned it earlier in the show with Robert Williams, him not really looking right. There was especially a play where he just kind of stayed down because his knees are not good. He's still coming off that torn meniscus. You got Al Horford, who's 36. He's pushing it a little bit. And, of course, Marcus Smart with that ankle sprain from a couple of weeks ago, definitely nursing that still. 
Yeah. I that's there's some interesting things that are gonna be going on in the next few days. We'll see how the rehab staffs do. That's gonna wrap us up for Tanner Hayworth from all of us at ESPN Honolulu. Until tomorrow, I'm Bobby Curran. Aloha.